administrators, coaches, they need to have a gender equitable mindset. You know, at, at Iowa State and at most major Division One programs, it's really about choices that are made by the athletics department. The women need to be given a chance to be the women, winning team. Hello all and welcome back to Second Class Citizens. This episode looks at the different dynamics and responsibilities of the universities that are represented in college athletics. There would be no such thing as college sports without the colleges themselves, and more importantly, the people making decisions for these colleges. So we're talking coaches, we're talking athletics administration, we're talking athletics directors, and we're talking university culture. Let's start with coaches and their supporting staff. Six episodes into this podcast, it should come as no surprise that female college coaches are largely underrepresented. A report done by the University of Minnesota looking at the top seven NCAA Division I conferences in the 2019 to 2020 school year found that out of 970 head coaches of women's teams, only 42% were female. There are fewer female coaches in college athletics today than there were 40 years ago. And Title IX has a lot to do with this. When Title IX came into play, more revenue opportunities became available in women's programs. And so men began to move towards coaching women's teams. Between 1972, when Title IX was signed, and 2016, the number of female coaches of women's teams has dropped by 50%. Corey Close, WBCA president and head coach of the UCLA women's basketball team, told me that college coaching is a really hard profession to break into as a woman. Um, but I think in general, when you just talk about breaking into the business, and it's really difficult. Not only are female coaches underrepresented, head coaches of women's teams are underpaid as well. Research in the 1990s, looking into the salaries of head coaches in Division I basketball, found that head coaches of women's teams of either gender earned about 50% of the base salary of the average men's head coach. But I do the exact same job as the men, and I get paid 15% less of, of what he gets paid. Here's the thing. Coach Close explained to me that she doesn't expect the same salary as the men's head coach at UCLA. I don't define that I should get paid the exact same as my men's coach. You know, we have, we have a different marketplace. But she did tell me that she should have the same opportunity in her marketplace to be successful. Here's how she explained it. If a men's head coach is the third highest paid coach in the conference, then the woman's head coach should also be the third highest paid in the conference. That you're giving me the same opportunity to be successful and to compete within my landscape. When we look at the support staff surrounding coaches and athletes, the numbers are actually worse. So there's a lack of females in coaching. There's a lack of females in sports medicine. The females must be working in athletics administration, right? Athletic administration, or the hiring and firing committee, is the most underrepresented. Women make up 24% of all NCAA athletics director roles, even though nearly half of college athletes are women. And when you break it down by division, it gets worse. Women make up 32% of Division Three athletics directors, 21% of Division Two athletics directors, and a whopping 15% of Division I athletics directors. 
Division One employs the fewest number of female athletics directors, and this division makes substantially more money than any other division. Out of 345 athletics directors for Division One universities, only 26 are female. 26. And among the wealthiest and most powerful conferences in Division One, which we call the Power Five conferences, women hold only five out of the 65 athletics directors positions. There are multiple research studies that focus specifically on identifying why females are unable to reach maximum career mobility in athletics administration. Number one, there is a lack of female role models in athletics administration. It's really hard to be somebody you can't see. Number two, there is this belief that women can't manage football programs because they've never played the sport. People say the same thing about female sports analysts covering the NFL. And number three, there is this scrutiny about a lack of experience, which is just ironic, isn't it? That's like saying you need job experience to get your first job. There is a clear gender bias going on in college athletics administration. As Dr. Ellen Storowski told me, there's no doubt that, that there is a gender dynamic and gender bias that is going on in athletic departments that has been discouraging for women who work in coaching and frankly also in, in other areas of athletic departments as well. I didn't know this until I started the research for this project, but there is actually a designation for the highest ranking female in each NCAA athletics department or conference office the Senior Women's Administrator, or the SWA. The position was established in 1981 by the NCAA as a way to assist in the merger of men's and women's athletics departments when the NCAA took over women's championships. The purpose of the SWA is, and I quote from the NCAA's website, to promote meaningful representation of women in leadership and management of college sports. Universities and conferences are not legislatively required to have an SWA, but the mass majority do. So here I am thinking, okay, some female leadership. Yeah, pump the brakes. The designation was created as a means for women to be more involved in the overall management of collegiate athletics. But this has actually created a situation where there is often only one woman in a senior level administration position in college athletic departments. As recently as 2016, 25% of Division I and more than 70% of Division II and Division III institutions reported having zero or one female administrator. What's more, a study found that in Division I, II, and III, 85% of SWAs, 56% of athletics directors, and 61% of conference commissioners believe that without the SWA designation, some institutions would not have a single woman involved in the senior level management of athletics. It's just for show. This position didn't increase female leadership in athletics. It gave universities a gold star for doing nothing. The 2018 NCAA Inclusion Report found that among all NCAA divisions, only 46% of SWAs are involved in major financial decisions, and only 13% oversee revenue-generating sports. Women aren't given decision-making power in college athletics. 
Every department in the country can hire more women in decision-making roles. And here's why this is important. Athletic administration is where all the big decisions regarding college sports are made. The NCAA does not regulate the decisions made by an athletics director or athletic programs. The NCAA isn't out here telling universities how to spend their money. They're definitely incentivizing them to spend lots and lots of money on men. But at the end of the day, those decisions are made by individual athletics departments at each university. I got the chance to chat with Jamie Pollard, the athletics director at Iowa State, which is in the Big 12 and therefore a Power 5 school. He told me that it's all about the choices that are made in athletics departments. You know, at, at Iowa State and at most major Division One programs, it's really about choices that are made by the athletics department because there's ample funding to cover most of everything. There just aren't enough women at the decision-making table. But even so, even if there was not a single female athletics administrator in the country, there is still no excuse for the under-resourcing of female sports programs in college. A woman doesn't need to be at the table to point out that a men's team traveling on a chartered plane to every game is going to put them in a better position to win than a woman's team who has to play a game and then get up at 4 a.m. the next morning to fly home commercially the day before their next game. No, I'm definitely not speaking from experience. Athletic administrations around the country are relying on an old playbook to support and resource women's teams. As Jocelyn Meyer, an ESPN director, pointed out, I hope the schools themselves, right, are giving both teams, the men and the women's teams, the same opportunities to succeed, right? The women need to be given the chance to be the winning team. But that's the thing. Women often aren't given the chance to be the winning team. Because even when they win, and even when they do better than their men's team, as we talked about in episode three, they're still underfunded or under-resourced. And when I say funded, I also mean given the chance to make money off their success. Universities just don't promote their women's teams the way that they do their men's. And one could say, well, women just don't bring in the money. They're revenue losers all the time, so it's justifiable to invest more in men. But here's the thing. Women don't get the chance to be revenue winners. Coach Close explains this. The, the story that isn't told in that is they don't sell sponsorships to the women that would bring revenue to the university. You know, they don't sell um, season tickets or tell the stories of their women the same way they do with the men. They don't at most places. Um, yeah. They don't invest. They just don't invest at the same level. So, of course, they're not going to get the same um, return. And what's more, success is actually determined by the athletics department itself. Talking with Jamie Pollard, he told me that his expectations with his teams at Iowa State are different depending on the year. The goal for one team might be to win the Big 12 championship, and the goal for another team might be to have a winning season. That changes year to year, but regardless, universities should be resourcing and funding both teams well. But in either case, they're going to be funded, you know, you know, they're going to be funded really well. Given that success is determined by the athletics department, I asked Mr. Pollard what sort of responsibility athletics directors hold in terms of creating winning programs. Oh, yeah, total responsibility. I mean, it's, um, 
know, leaders lead, and that's what my job is. I'm a leader of leaders. You know, there's multiple leaders within our organization, but I'm the ultimate leader of the leaders. And so the, um, the responsibility falls on me to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm making sure the ship is heading in the right direction, even though sometimes, you know, as I say, you can't always see the shore. He also told me that gender equity in college athletics departments is a shared responsibility. At Iowa State, they do an annual gender equity review to ensure that there is accountability in their department. They do an analytical analysis as well as a subjective analysis where they go out and they actually meet with teams and then do a survey of all their student-athletes. The review is a public document which includes recommendations. You know, and, and that's a public document that, um, you know, anybody can access, so you know, we're, we're held accountable not only internally, but we're held accountable externally. Gender equity reviews are a fantastic way to ensure that there is a gender equitable mindset in athletics departments. Something that Dr. Ellen Starowski told me is very important. Administrators, coaches, they need to have a gender equitable mindset while they're working in a gender segregated environment. Sex-segregated environments increase the likelihood that one group is going to be treated worse than the other group. A gender-equitable mindset creates greater awareness that there can be unfair treatment going on. And here's something that's really important to talk about. Gender equity in universities is not, not about taking anything away from men. It's not about giving less to men's programs in order to meet the needs of women's programs. As WBCA president and head coach of the women's basketball team at UCLA, Corey Close, told me. None of us that are fighting this gender equity battle are trying to take away from the men. We don't want to just take more from an existing pie. So we don't want you to just cut the existing pie of resources differently. We want you to give us a chance to grow the pie. It's about exposing the lack of resources that women's programs receive. I talked with Dr. Elizabeth Daniels about this resource allocation. I do think there still are problems with um, having enough resources to meet the needs of female athletes. You don't have to take away from men to give women more. When a non-revenue male sport is cut by a university in compliance with Title IX, it's a scapegoat. Universities have other options. Well, they do, in fact, have other options, right? You could decide to um, not build a stadium. Resource allocation is completely controlled by the university. And women's lack of leadership roles within college athletics has everything to do with power and little to do with rationality or women's qualifications. Universities around the country should be doing so much more to promote and regulate gender equity on their campuses. And this sort of accountability starts at the top. Jamie Pollard says it better than me. You know, leaders lead, and that's what my job is. I'm a leader of leaders. So athletics directors, lead. Give both your men's and women's teams the resources and funding they need to be successful. And recognize that this might take some more effort if you don't have a gender-equitable mindset. So get one. Acknowledge the challenges, take some accountability, and give your female athletes, their coaches, and their staff what they need to win.